electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin going wild over the weekend, surging back from its big dip last week. And if history is any indication, there's even more gains ahead. We will explain. Plus, Walmart striking back at Amazon with higher online prices, and the stock is on track for its best year since 1999. Do you just keep buying the retail giant? And later, so-called safety stocks like utilities and staples are surging. But that might be a bad sign for the market, at least according to one of the biggest bulls on Wall Street. Credit Suisse's Jonathan Gala will be here to tell us why he is telling his clients to just keep buying. First, we start off with GE, the company announcing its turnaround, but investors turned the stock upside down. It fell 7 percent, breaking below 19 bucks a share, hitting its lowest level in five years on very heavy volume. Morgan Brennan was at the Industrial Giants Investor Day in New York. She joins us with all the highlights. Morgan. Hey, that's right, Melissa. So it was a big day for CEO John Flannery. He unveiled that much-anticipated turnaround plan. It was a big day for the stock, as you just mentioned. Logged its worst session in eight and a half years. The worst uh, daily session since the financial crisis closed down 7%. Why did we see that move? Well, GE slashing its dividend in half, but keep in mind that had been expected given the, quote, horrible cash flow. The updated guidance is what was largely to blame. New 2018 EPS target, a dollar to a dollar seven per share. Weaker than expected cash flow next year of six to seven billion dollars. Also disappointing. But Flannery did say 2018 will be a recent year and he expects both earnings and cash flow to grow after that. His vision, a simpler company. One focused on three core businesses, aviation, healthcare, and despite big challenges, power, which he thinks can be turned around over the next one to two years. More than $20 billion in assets will be exited, including transportation, industrial solutions, and lighting. Also, potentially, in addition to that goal, GE's majority stake in Baker Hughes. Other big changes moving forward with digital, but cutting investment by $400 million in that division. The board is shrinking. New methodology will also now be used for quarterly reports. So a lot on top. But after today's stock performance, shares of GE are now down about 40 percent for the year. Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Morgan Brennan. Here's why GE's pain matters to you at home. It is one of the most widely held stocks in the market. Chances are you probably own it in some form or fashion. More than 25 percent of all ETFs and mutual funds hold this stock. With the stock in the gutter now, how much worse can it get for General Electric? How will you know when it is safe to buy? I go to a man who's already bought, Tim. Well, I think you, it's, it's safe when you start to see a couple of these businesses start to show some earnings growth. And, and I will say that at least right now, we have priced some of the core businesses and maybe even some of the businesses that are going to get shipped out at their absolute lows. I mean, my view is that uh, the power assets are, are priced at, at, you know, 
arguably historical lows on an asset basis, again, relative to themselves, relative to their peer groups. So um, I think we need to see something. But if anybody expected anything different today, they bought the wrong stock. And, and again, I bought the stock three weeks ago. I bought it around 1950. Um, I thought that the, the dividend cut was largely priced in. What they did today, largely priced in. GE, by the way, now is a 4.7 percent dividend yield. It's not a reason to go out and run by the stock. But they didn't cut it. I mean, they didn't, sorry, they didn't eradicate the dividend. And maybe that's what they should have done today, because I think people are nervous about cash flow. Uh, priced in, meaning priced in now with a 7% decline? Yeah. I mean, okay. I think ultimately we got to a place where um, today's reaction, though, uh, I have to say that I thought today was going to be one of those, instead of the stock closing on the lows, I thought this was one of these cases where, in fact, intraday it was doing what I thought it was going to do because everything we heard today, that downgraded EPS, that dividend that was cut in half, that was in line with expectations. Well, don't you think it has something to do with the fact that investors just don't believe that 2018 EPS number? It's a moving target at this point. So, you know, and it's been a moving target for all of 2017, right? So they've been guiding down, they've been, you know, consistently and analysts have been lowering their 2018 estimate so you have a ba basically like less than what 95 cents on a gap basis uh, expected for next year and I think it, it, people just don't believe it and that's what really came out through the course of the day so to me you know we, we talked so about this it is doubt. Wait, this I, is I, doubt I, in the marketplace a seven percent decline or well it continued I mean the stock okay. was trading at 2070 so because people were waiting for that believe it I think they believe oh no they, 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 they don't they, believe oh my God. they don't believe that's <laughs> yeah. it they don't believe oh, that's right. it yeah. You're saying, Karen, that you think possibly people thought it was a kitchen sink, which is yeah. kind of a throwaway opportunity for a new CEO. But in fact, it's not a throwaway. It's truly going to be there. Well, I, I think it, it it could be there. I think it very well could be there ish, give or take. And if this if that is the case, it's very expensive. Right. You got to be on 18 numbers. For right. Sure. You got to be pretty optimistic yeah. about how the turnaround goes yep. or maybe the asset sales. I don't know. Or maybe they do something that's good for shareholders with uh, Baker Hughes. I don't know. All that having been said, I think investors should feel comfortable with the dividend cut. He could have cut it as much as he wanted. It was, a, you know, well, given that it was already going to be cut, I think he had free reign to, to be very aggressive. Mm -hmm. And so don't hear another dividend cut at this point. I don't think so. But the I targets are moving. The targets are moving. Right. OK. Pete, what do you make? You know, for me, it, it all comes down to companies that have growth. These guys clearly have zero growth right now. They Shouldn't they have the growth? Aren't they in the right areas, though? Aviation. Yeah, I mean, I know they power, have exposure and they have. Healthcare. They overpaid for healthcare. They overpaid for energy. They paid at the absolute top. Uh -huh. I, I'd give you a better example. If I want to be anywhere in the industrial space right now, of any of the names, one of them that has not performed great, but I think 18 will be a different year for them, would be something like Emerson. And I, I bring that up because you've got cash flow growth. You look at their guidance. Their guidance looks strong. The earnings per share, they're looking for almost double-digit growth. This is a company that's growing, and everything, when you look at GE right now, there are segments. But this is a monstrous company. If you've just got segments of growth and the rest of it is, is waning or dying off, mm -hmm. that's a problem. And the guidance tells us that, right? I mean, that guidance was awful. It's why I think we saw the reaction that we did today in the stock. And that, if that's 2018, there are other places to be. Do we, do we think that this is capitulation? I mean, given the stock's move, and not just the move of 7%, but the heavy volume. This is more than 300% of average daily yeah, it, volume for GE. Well, it, it feels like that. But again, capitulation is on a day when you see that stock kind of crawl itself back up to even turf. So, I mean, right. I, again, they were selling it on the lows. I think there's, there are people that will not own this stock. There are people that there are institutions that have dumped this thing. And that's what today feels like. And let's face it, um, there's nothing here to expect a quick turnaround with a guy at the helm who is sitting there um, in the same seat 
C-suite when a lot of this bad stuff happened. So it doesn't feel like a fresh start right now. Well, you make a great point, or you ask a great question. Back on October 20th, when the company reported their Q3 results and guided down, remember that stock opened, I think, as low as like near $22 from 23 and a half or something like that and closed up on the day. We were talking about the, the same thing yeah. the next day. You know, was that it? Was that the capitulation? Then what did we say? Well, you got to wait until that dividend gets cut. And one of the things that was really interesting this morning, at 8.30 a.m., when that news was out, before the guidance was out, that stock was trading up. It was trading close to 21 off a of 20.50 close. And I think a lot of people said, if that was the news and we don't get the guidance cut, then maybe we have a little short-term bottom here. But at the end of the day, that's why I think that 2018 EPS so what's estimate the motivation, is a moving then? Why target. would we want to own G? I mean, I'll ask and, you. And right. who's so the I'm... incremental buyer if all the institutions have already dumped it? I mean, well, at this point. Because I, I think the, the sentiment on the stock is so, so poor. Um, people have, again, they've priced these core assets to almost, uh, I, I think, significant discounts to book value when I don't think that that's warranted and they never did it before. So um, if you think about this, a lot of people felt like before that dividend cut, if they were going to give you what they gave you today, this was going to be enough. Let's get it out of the way. I was one of them. I was one of them that 7% ago said, I think it's in the price. You were also, so, Dan, you know. basically. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, yeah, no, but this is a fair question because a lot of people yeah. did. They, a lot of people yep. thought when John Flannery had that last interview on CNBC, he, he has another one, by the yeah. way, tomorrow with yeah. David Faber. And it traded in the street. as if exactly it treated as if it, everything was in the do we have clear. A ten-year and chart? then it's the stock went lower. Chart? I know that there's been some so what do we need to see? Like that, what do you need to see to believe that the word? You need, what you, you, you today need, was not it. We need to see a fifty-cent number in 2018 where they way overshoot. Right? So you they want way to overshoot. The guidance by fifty. By 50 percent. It may happen, Mel. I mean, like, you know, the restructuring yeah. chart. I mean, there's so much stuff that's going to come out of this thing. So to me, I'm just guessing here, but you're going to need to see a capitulation. Are you still in your trade? Yeah, I mean, but I think you play it through long calls. I mean, but even with implied volatility, price of options is very high well, right well, now. Define your risk back to that 24 level. It's expensive in terms of dollar amount stock, but it's expensive if you look at it, and you brought that up, yeah. on a P.E. level. The multiple right now, that concerns me. I, I don't know. The, why, what is compelling enough to make me buy GE over something else? in the space if I have to be Well, here's a question for you, Tim, and you're in GE, so maybe this is kind of a weird question, but, I mean, would you rather GE or Honeywell? Would you rather GE or United Technology? Really? Because, again, look, I haven't known GE for a couple years until I bought it a few weeks ago. Again, I never thought the story was clicking on all cylinders, and I thought there was a lot of disparate parts. There is. You get to a place here, and I talk very positively on power and energy, and I feel like this is a sector that is totally cheap to its asset basis. So um, I think we're at a place here where if you look at GE, this is not a place where you're supposed to be excited by the near-term turnaround, but why would you buy a heavy multiple stock in the industrial sector at a time when I think there's a lot of value there? One thing that the stock uh, chart doesn't show us, clearly it's been awful, but it doesn't show us the balance sheet which is very, right, very, very levered. Very levered. Yeah. So that, when you think about valuation, you've got to include that in there, not but they've just got, the stock they've got so many. They've got so many assets that they can sell off, Karen. I mean, yeah. But not, I don't think they can sell them off at the price. They can't sell them off tomorrow, and, oh, and they probably can't tomorrow. sell them off at the, But, I mean, right. to say that this is a balance sheet that's in trouble, I, I, I think I'm not saying that. Not. I'm yeah. saying when you consider the overall valuation, the balance After sheet is end. worse than some of the comps. I think the reaction today was the right reaction just based uh-huh. upon what GE told us. I mean, what they told us was nothing that any of us, including you, none of us wanted to hear that. I mean, the guidance was so bad for 18 that you look forward and you're like, all right, well, why don't I wait till probably sometime, maybe next year from now, and then just see how things are going. And in the meantime, I mean, when you look at the reaction of something, I'll give you a great example, a Home Depot. Great numbers last quarter. Stock went down. Creates an opportunity. 
I don't think this created an opportunity to necessarily today in GE because I think the reaction was right, so I don't feel compelled that I have to be in there. Right. I'll just say something Last else. I like, what I like to point is I like to buy other people's problems. And, and so while I wish I bought this stock today at the close, um, when I buy that stock at 20 bucks, I bought somebody else's problems. I think so much of the last four or five years is priced into this stock. And whether I bought it five or 10 percent ago, you have to take a view. Core assets, competent management. This is this is somewhere around the bottom. All right. Coming up, Walmart's on track for its best year in nearly two decades. And it just did something that's got investors piling in. We'll bring you the details. Plus, Bitcoin's taking investors for a spin, surging back after sinking last week. And if history's any indication, there's even more gains ahead. We'll explain. And later, media mogul Barry Diller says more media deals are on the way. So which names are the perfect match? The traders will weigh in. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Walmart. Let's go to Courtney Reagan in the newsroom for the details. Courtney. Hi, Melissa. So Walmart and Lord & Taylor are officially confirming an online partnership. This was first reported about three weeks ago by the Wall Street Journal. So Lord & Taylor is launching what it calls a store on Walmart's website in the spring of 2018. Walmart says shoppers on its site are looking for higher-end products that Lord & Taylor sells, though we should note Walmart owns Bonobos, ModCloth, Moose Jaw. They don't currently sell their products on Walmart's website. Now, neither Lord & Taylor nor Walmart are disclosing the financial details or the arrangements of how this is going to work, and neither company explicitly says so, but there seems to be a potential for Lord & Taylor to find new shoppers on Walmart.com as the big box store invests billions to improve its digital experience. Experience. So that's what Lord & Taylor gets out of this. Now, there aren't details yet on if Walmart will be shipping the products or if Lord & Taylor will, or if shoppers can buy from both Lord & Taylor's store on Walmart.com and from Walmart.com in the same basket. The department store says the products it sells on Walmart's site may not be the exact same products that shoppers can find on their own website or in the stores. So there's a lot of details that we still have to figure out, but we at least know that there is a partnership and that it is coming in spring of 2018. Melissa, back over to you. Courtney, really quick, what does yeah. Walmart get from Lauren Taylor? So this is a really good question. What they say is that they've been seeing shoppers on their site searching for higher-end items that Walmart doesn't currently sell. So I presume they don't want to lose that shopper entirely. They want to be able to provide them some of those products. And mm -hmm. Walmart must have decided it's better at this point to let right. someone else do that than to let to, for them to figure out those products and, and that experience for the higher-end. But I think there's a lot of questions here still. Yeah. All right. And nothing is disclosed. Courtney, thank right. you. Thanks. Courtney Reagan, um, what does this mean? This is a stock that just hit a 52-week high at least in right. today's session. And Dan, how long have you been looking around on their site for that kind of stuff? For Lauren Taylor stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Can I, you're going to go to Karen. I, I, listen, I, I think these sorts of deals, we're going to keep on seeing these sorts of things. Just think in the last year what we've seen with Amazon and Nike, you know, Amazon and Whole Foods, which was different. It was an acquisition. I mean, these are the sorts of things. Walmart is expected to have $500 billion in sales this year. In the U.S., there was $5.5 trillion in retail sales, okay? So they have less ten, than 10% of it. Less than 10% of that $5.5 trillion is online. Walmart obviously made the jet deal. They want to get more of the online sales. Amazon owns half of all online sales growth. Now, I know that was a whole heck of a lot, but now this is a two, this is an arms race between two big dealers, and it's Amazon right. and Walmart, and we're going to continue to see these sorts of deals because they want to offer. What did Amazon do when they saw people wanted other stuff? They created a marketplace, right? Third-party sellers, yeah. that sort of thing. Walmart's not likely to do that, but they are likely to do it with other brands or uh, retailers like yeah. Lauren Taylor.
Karen. There you go. <laughs> I, th I mean, I think it's interesting for them. I think this is a marginal customer that maybe Walmart right. never would have had. So even if it's a pretty thin margin customer, I think it could still make sense for them. I mean, good for them. He, the, the biggest thing is Walmart is so far behind Amazon, who, and, and then there's nobody else. Amazon is just so far ahead. I think there is a lot of room for Walmart to catch up or... Even, I mean, even if it's not so profitable, just to grab that share and figure out later what to do with it, because I don't think they're making money on Jet or their business right, right now. And I'm not really familiar, to be honest, with what Lord and Taylor has to offer in general. I but Mel's particularly, attitude on WMT. But particularly with their web, with their direct consumer. Right. So maybe this is a real lifeline for them in terms of. I mean, they just sold their flagship store. To WeWorks. Look, this is, you know, this is almost, it's got some Amazon to it, doesn't it? But I mean, yeah. if I'm going to go with Walmart who's in, and slip into some high end, why not buy Target? Um, why not buy a better valuation? Why not buy a company with Target where people, that's how people are shopping for those types of brands and they're doing it through partnerships within the store. Target is the best at it. I think it's all about the digital. They just want to continue to expand there. That's been the focus. McMillan's been all over that. It's not just the jet acquisition. It's something that they've been pushing for for a very long time. 4,600 stores in the U.S. They have incredible efficiencies to be able to use those stores as distribution centers. So Walmart is catching up to Amazon and I think winning, just like Best uh, Buy. Best Buy, when you look at what Jolie has done over at Best Buy, it's absolutely amazing. But are they more profitable, Pete? Because again, it gets they are. As a matter of fact, the revenue is six hey, of the Walmart last or seven. Best Buy? Walmart Best Buy. Okay. Six of the last seven quarters, Best Buy's revenue has gone up. They've been growing. So that's something that has to be focused on, too. They're making money while they're but attacking Amazon. Here's a question Amazon. for you, Walmart. This is the best year, on track for its best year in two decades. Right. Do you buy Walmart here, or do you buy a Target? Which may, which some people say are experiencing a similar turnaround, Target, except, except remember, earlier remember in the Target's, Target's a Minnesota company. I love those <laughs> guys. I love them. Well. You know. and I, yeah, I still love them, but you know what? They were a little bit behind, and they were behind mostly in grocery. That's where Walmart just mm -hmm. absolutely crushed them. Then suddenly we get Amazon involved, obviously, with the Whole Foods acquisition. They are still struggling to catch up. They will catch up, but they're more in that transitional thing of about a year and a half ago. I think Walmart's in front of them by that much. They can go right after Amazon, not worry about Target. So still Walmart. Absolutely. All right. Still ahead, Qualcomm rejecting Broadcom's $105 billion takeover offer. So if a deal is off the table, what's a chipmaker really worth? Pete will break down the price, the right price, excuse me, <laughs> later in the hour. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money and CNBC First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Bitcoin has gone nuts, crashing, then surging. But Dennis Gartman says, beware. The end is near for the cryptocurrency. And he'll be here to explain why. Plus, that's what investors seem to be saying these days as traders seek the shelter of safety stocks like utilities and staples. But a top strategist says it's all good. Just keep buying the market. And he'll explain what has him so bullish when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. In the midst of a raging and historic bull market, a curious group of stocks are surging. Defensive ones. Bob Bassani is breaking down what is behind the safety surge. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. After a year dominated by growth-oriented stocks like technology names, the markets turned a bit defensive in the last few weeks with real estate investment trusts and utilities and consumer staples suddenly outperforming. So what's going on? Well, we saw the decline in bond yields in the past month. That's made bond proxies popular. Those are REITs and utilities, for example. REITs have had a great run as well, due not just to the lower bond yields, but also some M&A talk that's helping fuel returns, particularly in the mall REIT space. 
space. But the rally in consumer staples may be the most interesting development. Many of the stocks sunk to new lows in the third quarter as investors abandoned food stores like Kroger and some retailers like Costco and big consumer brand names like Clorox and Colgate, mostly on the theory that Amazon was devaluing the entire space, even brand names in general. But then a funny thing happened. The stocks didn't go to zero, and investors have again begun picking at the edges, just like they did a month ago with energy stocks. So what's going on here is for the retail-oriented names like Walmart and Costco, the weather's finally gotten a little colder, so there's plenty of pent-up demand. Most are going up against fairly easy comp store sales from last year, so they look good. And for many, the inventory levels are pretty lean right now. That's a good scenario for owning these stocks. Now, obviously, there's plenty of skeptics around this, just like the energy story. But Chuck Rahm over at Gordon Haskett pointed out to me this morning, he's telling clients, if you don't believe in the long-term ownership story, you could at least make an argument you might want to rent these stocks for the next few months. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you, Bob. Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange. Who wants to buy some of these safety stocks? Ooh, silence on the desk. Why well, not? It's, first of all, I'll go after utilities here. I think you can still own the XLU. If you think about this, this is supposed to be the ultimate conservative play. You're buying power companies. Uh, this stock, this, this, yeah, this ETF is up 24% since you know, a week after the elections when we've supposedly been in this grab for growth. Rates are going higher. So it tells you, first of all, it's always got to be a part of your allocation. And I stay in utilities here. I mean, one of Bob's arguments was that these are bond proxies, right? Are Yields they? Of it. I, I mean, I, to the extent, I don't think that they one. are. You have an okay. equity risk. You know, a lot of people like to hang their head on dividends. I don't think that's, I, I don't think you should. One, rates go up, then that dividend stream value goes down. And they're not cheap. I think, you know, their yeah. market multiples are higher. So I'm not a buyer here. Well, you know, one, one area that gets lumped into the defensive sort of category is, is pharmaceuticals. We know that the biotechs had a really difficult time over the last couple of months. But the XLV, you know, looks pretty interesting here. It's actually held. It showed a really good relative strength. I know you like the yield in some of these things. Oh, um, obviously, there's going to be some M&A, further M&A in the big pharma space. So that one looks kind of interesting to me. I, I'm not a big fan of the XLU, though. I think the opportunity is not to be defensive. It's always to look for growth in the fundamental story. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a great example. Home Depot, after earnings, they sold it off. Or, you know, it went down like to, you know, like almost 10%. Gave you an opportunity. The numbers were great. Same thing with before Apple on the launch. Sold it off. Went down to 150 from 164. Now look at it. I think there are opportunities out there. And those that get defensive, I think that's a huge mistake because, to your point, we're talking about equities that are giving you a yield that oftentimes are so levered that under the wrong circumstances, those can but actually GE? get really, and GE, that can really get pressed to the downside and underperform. But if you've got the fundamental story and the growth, it's a completely different set of circumstances with upside. While the surge in safety stocks isn't scaring one of Wall Street's biggest bulls, let's bring in Jonathan Golub, chief U.S. equity strategist at Credit Suisse. He's got a 28.75 price target on the S&P 500 for 2018. And that's more than 10% higher than where we are trading right now. Jonathan, it's always good to see you. Good to see you. Um, Setting aside the surge in the safety stocks themselves, something that Bob was getting at was that yields have remained low on the long The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. 
it was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.